Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello, and welcome to the Movie Trap. My name is Russell Carlson, and with me as always, Chris Boroff. I speak mostly English. <laughs> and with me as well, Zach Powers. In Soviet Russia, steroids take you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to the movie trap. Uh, on the movie trap, for those unfamiliar, uh, e- one of the three hosts you just met uh, picks a theme, and then each of the other th- hosts picks a movie based off that theme. Once we've watched all three movies, we then vote with an allocated amount of points, plus some bonus points we get to give you out along the way. Uh, and then whichever host movie wins the vote, that host gets to pick the next theme. And we are right in the middle of Chris uh, Boriff's theme of a slightly nebulous theme of uh, genre shifts of what we've kind of uh, leaning with here. Um, Movies that change this, somewhere in the middle of the film from in one... In the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so uh, kind of hard to nail down, and we've been kind tough of... One, we'll, we'll explore. Uh, we'll explore a lot of that in, in the coming uh, couple that's, episodes. That's the trap as we in did the with title. the last episode. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, no, it's a, good, we, it's a good topic. It's tough to, you it have is, to think it's, about it's this It is. It's definitely... <laughs> a, it's a sicky trap, because as we uh, previously on the movie trap found out, uh, you know, we watched 1971's performance, which was Chris Boris' pick, since it's his theme, and that was an experience of itself. <laughs> um, this one, this week's episode, uh, is going to be my pick, and it is the 2017 documentary Icarus, um, which is, I mean, on a bit note, basically just about uh, doping in sports. Um, so before we get into the the fun, uh, the 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 very intriguing and and shady world of, of organized sports, uh, let's get a rundown of the points real quick. As I said, we get allocated an amount of 10 points, but we get three bonus points. To Each of us gets three bonus points that we can give to each other for whatever reason we see fit. Um, so, last week, uh, well, last episode, uh, Boref, you got two bonus points, one from Zach and I, so you have 12 points plus three bonus points to give out. Uh, Zach, you and I have 10 points for final voting, but we each have two bonus points to give out. So, with that in mind, Comrade Zach, please regale us with uh, the the twisty tale of Icarus. Uh, Okay, so Icarus is indeed a 2017 documentary film. In fact, uh, the Academy Award winner for Best Documentary Film in that year. Um, And uh, it uh, was uh, directed by Brian Fogel. And indeed... At the beginning of the film, the central figure is Mr. Brian Fogel, who is uh, an avid biker, um, not in the motorcycle sense, in the self-propulsion sense. Um, <laughs> OG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who uh, spurred probably in large part by the um, Lance Armstrong doping scandal, um, but also some Olympic doping scandals. Uh, decides to try and do almost a super size me-esque experiment in which he uh, is going to try to himself take a number of steroids and obviously substances that are banned from competitive competitive sport and um, attempt to fool basically every conceivable uh, drug detection system that 
is currently used in the world, right? So uh, he has a big, absolutely insane sort of uh, over-mountain four-day bike race coming up um, in which he wants to, uh, you know, try and, like, prepare by using steroid supplements. Um, and in order to conduct this experiment, he gets in touch with um, a Russian scientist. And I should say, I did say Soviet Russia at the beginning. Apparently, we need to clarify this for Americans. It is currently not Soviet Russia. It is <laughs> capitalist oligarchy Russia. Uh, Correct. So, yeah. It uh, also, it also yeah. should be noted that, that Brian tried to get other doctors to help him with this experiment. And every doctor said, absolutely not. But one doctor said, but there is this guy in Russia. He, he's a little yeah. on the shady side. <laughs> And that man was Grigory uh, Rodchenkov, um, a man who who likes to zoom shirtless. Um, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Skype back in the day. Yeah. Skype at this time, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Who instructed Brian on his uh, doping regimen, right? He, he gets him all of the supplemental materials he needs, the steroids and whatnot. He tells him how to take them, how often to take them, and uh, gets him involved in a pretty rigorous, I would say, uh, doping routine. Um, he is injecting himself with steroids, first in the thigh and then later in the butt, several times a day, an, an obscene amount of steroids, I would almost say. Um, and uh, so Brian yeah, is the, following this. Go ahead. Yeah, to the point he's getting like, blood blisters from how many yeah. steroids he's ins inserting into his body and they go down over time but it's pretty horrifying and they show it all on camera yeah yeah it's quite if you have a needle phobia the the first part of this movie might not be your favorite um anyways uh he uh instructs him on also tactics to avoid uh, detection in urine he is giving him advice like put your urine in the fridge here blah 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 and we can, I can instruct you how to avoid detection by basically any test that is available right now. Um, so uh, the two of them go off on this, you know, regimen and gradually sort of become closer. They become friendly uh, in many ways and, and chat on a frequent basis over Skype. Um, at a certain point, they even meet in person when Rodchenkov comes out to LA for a brief period of time. And... Uh, Ultimately, uh, Brian does get to his big um, race in which he actually places, I think, the same or worse than he did the year before. Worse. Worse. In part because he has an issue with his bike on one of the days. Uh, the gear shift breaks, I believe. Um, but in spite of, like, noticing the effects and training of the steroids, it doesn't seem to greatly improve him. But ultimately, that all gets overshadowed because Rodchenkov lets off uh, lets out that there is indeed a pretty major doping uh, apparatus in Russia uh, state sponsored and uh, soon uh, with the Olympics I believe the Sochi Olympics uh, no 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 the Rio Olympics coming up is that the one that uh, they're on the way to no that's yes, right yes it's yes, the yes. Rio Olympics 2016 um, is what's coming up yeah right uh, after a bit of a stir, um, there was a bit of a stir in the Sochi Olympics in 2014, but they look more into people start looking more into it prior to the 2016 Rio Olympics, and Russian doping becomes kind of a scandal in the media. And um, 
ultimately, Russia starts moving to get ahead of this potential scandal. And that includes sort of hushing up and cleaning up its doping operation, which Rudchenkov is a major, major, major part of. Uh, he basically runs the lab in which the doping and the testing occurs. Um, and he did so at the Sochi Olympics, as a matter of fact, uh, where there was a complicated system of transporting and switching out urine and, you know, getting it out of the, you know, tamper-proof capsules that they store it in, replacing it and putting it back in place. And he has all this information that makes him um, a bit of a problem for the Russian government. And it becomes clear that Rodchenkov is becoming increasingly concerned about his personal safety and his ability to basically not get mur murdered by Putin. Um, right. Mm -hmm. uh, so Because his other partner dies of a heart attack right yeah. before he before the other person goes um yeah he uh manages to work with fogel in order to get himself a round trip ticket out to los angeles but he has no intention of returning to russia because he is uh he is of the mindset that he is in a lot of potential danger um and that seems to be accurate they set him up in a temporary home and while he's there one of his colleagues, also involved in the doping process, dies of a heart attack, very coincidentally. And uh, Rodchenkov has absolutely no trust that that was a natural heart attack. Um, he's sure that the man was, you know, uh, killed. And uh, at this time, he begin they begin to deal with both uh, the U.S. Department of Justice and also with certain um, newspapers such as the New York Times, in order to get Rachenkov's account of this story out um, and also to find protection from potential Russian assets that might be in the United States and, uh, and kind of after Rachenkov. Um, so we also learn that in the past, Rachenkov has been uh, targeted by the Russian state before. He's been to prison. He attempted suicide at one point and was put into a mental facility um, where he was sprung because he was deemed to be useful for this potential doping scandal based on his previous experience and studies. Um, so basically, he uh, let's loose uh, all these factors. The Russian head of sport and Putin above him are all actively involved in this. They're all very, very, very nasty people who have no compunctions about killing. I believe the head of sport is a former KGB agent. Correct. Yeah. The chick, the chicka or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, he eventually gets in touch with obviously uh, the department of justice, with whom he gives uh, a great number of details about how the Sochi doping scandal worked and that the majority of Russian participants in that uh, particular Olympics were probably doping. And in fact, the doping goes back to, I think, the 90s or the 80s. It's been a, a very longstanding thing, um, though it really ratcheted up after, I think, the 2010 Olympics, the Russians did quite poorly and yeah. Putin Though really the, 
though the weird thing is is that it was an ongoing rumor for a very long time i believe uh rocky three had a whole thing yeah. in there where dolph lundgren was juicing and that's why i think a spoiler warning i think he kills apollo creed with a really strong punch mm. uh and that leads to the rest of that comfort that confrontation in that film yeah yeah uh but yeah, so after but after the 2010 Olympics, Putin felt embarrassed by the Russian performance, and they really ramped up the doping since then. Um, ultimately, he gets in touch at the same time he's talking to the Department of Justice with the New York Times and spreads their and gives the story to them, which potentially puts him in conflict with protection from the United States government, who doesn't want this story going out in the media before they can sort of address it themselves. Um, so a lot of this is him trying to figure out where he's going to get protection, who he can deal with. And at the same time, Russia is smearing his name as mentally disturbed, previously suicidal, using his, you know, previous drug uh, addict, they drug addict. Yeah, so it's um, a lot of trumped you know, up charges I'm... and nonsense that they're throwing yeah. at him. Correct. Yeah. Trying to discredit this guy who's kind of the key witness in this sort of doping scandal thing. Um, but ultimately, not only does the Times get the story, but he gets it out to uh, the Olympic Committee, who are, you know, sort of embarrassed by the fact that they've all been hoodwinked. But Brian Fogle is like, well, you have to imagine this guy has left his family. He's left his sister, his wife, his kids, his dog to come out here and break this story and like, would you make that level of sacrifice based on bullshit claims? Um, and ultimately, for a while, it looks like Russia might be barred from the Rio Olympics, though ultimately most of the Russian athletes were allowed to participate. Correct. There's a interesting loophole I can get into. but Yeah. Um, but the film ends with Rodchenkov having gotten his story out going into witness protection he talks to his wife one last time over skype saying he does not know how long he will be in witness protection and says goodbye to brian who sends him off at the airport to places unknown um uh there's been at this point even a second one of his colleagues has died over the course of this scandal um and he heads off to god knows where witness protection where he remains to this day and that's more or less the story of icarus um it's our first documentary on this iteration of the show i don't know if we ever did one on the old i uh, wait i think yeah, we, we did we like did the one uh, or two we did the dolphin we did like one. a whole episode yeah the, the cove i think we did like a whole that's episode it. chunk of, of i think that was before i joined yeah, it was definitely, and, and I think we were still trying to figure out what we were doing. Um, but um, yeah, no, and that's why I, I kind of chose this movie because I, I had seen it before when it was on Netflix before it won the Oscar, and I was fascinated by it because one of the reasons I was really, really taken with it is how the movie slowly but concretely changes. Like at first, as Zach said, it's like this kind of supersize me experiment yeah. kind of like a roger and me first person account of what would happen if i tried to do lance armstrong's shit um and then it very it, when it does change it it's it, it's it the the second half of the movie um is 
separated by the placards of O'Brien's speech from George Orwell's 1984. Um, and once that first placard comes up, that's when I, I'm like, I'm in a different fucking movie. Like, yeah. This is a completely different movie. Um, and I was struck by that when I, I watched mean, it for the first time. So when you suggested this thing, it was the first movie that came to my mind was this movie. I think it's uh, fasc- one of the fascinating aspects of this in terms of this particular topic of movies that shift in the middle is obviously with most films, that would be an intentional choice. In this movie, events just happened around mm-hmm. this guy that he was already in touch with to do this completely. The original conception of this movie, probably the arduous mountain race would have been the climax of the film. And they'd be like, Oh, he got away with it or he didn't, or he did better. Or he did worse. But right. Very quickly, the entire like beginning part becomes backstory. Like it's true. Becomes overshadowed so completely by this guy who is, in danger of being killed by the Russian government. Yeah. What I was I, struck I, about, what I was nervous about picking this film because I was worried when that shift happened, I if it happened too early. But you know, because like when I was watching it again for the podcast, I, I noticed that we meet you know Gregory like almost in the first fifteen minutes. Ooh. But it isn't until about minute 42 45 sure. when the, everything yeah. changes to be like almost this spy thriller sort of thing. It it does a perfect thing um basically uh when the midpoint hits that's when it turns into a different film and it's pretty fantastic that they edited it together in that way and told the story that way i had the same reaction um uh not to tip my cards too much but this is probably one of my favorite documentaries now having seen it um for me like i (laughs) i always had this thing and i think carlson you heard me like complain about this it was a common thing in film school of the question of uh, Morgan Spurlock versus Errol Morris. And that seemed like mm. the two the two tiers. Right. Of like super mm-hmm. subjective or super objective. And in the middle... Or Michael Moore could be... Michael Moore, exactly. The, yeah. Michael Moore's probably... Yeah, yeah. absolutely, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think I remember more in film school, it's about retrospective versus perspective. Like, it's... Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. But this and one, one kind of does I, both. <laughs> it's weird. I, it does, but it's, it's one of these things where it feels totally justified because it does what a documentary is supposed to do like it's there for an event to occur and it's not something that the filmmaker is causing to happen it's something that just happened because they were in the right place at the right time and i love that and it's Um, it's fascinating because the first half the documentary that they're making at the beginning the supersize me with steroids um supersize me as in literally me (laughs) um Um, that movie stars Brian Fogel and the movie it turns into stars Gregory, like Gregory very much becomes the focal point of the movie. Brian becomes such a backseat character. He's there, you know, he's trying to coordinate his living situation and help him figure out how to get in touch with the U S government or various magazines. But after a certain point, Gregory, who is, you know, a supporting character in the first half becomes the show. I'd Correct. Like and also, point. I think that it, you know, this. I'm gonna. I'd, I'd like okay. to give Zach a point because that uh, is okay. something that I responded to strongly because it goes from being a narrative about the filmmaker to a narrative about the subject. And uh, interestingly enough, when you said the bigger, or when you said the thing about Supersize Me, they made this documentary before. 
I believe it was called um, Faster, Stronger, Almost Dead or something like that, where it yeah. was about a guy who was a big fan of, I think, Chris Benoit or someone, mm-hmm. uh, or the Iron Sheik. He was obsessed with wrestlers in the 80s. I think it was 80s. Benoit, because Benoit was the one that, like, kind of they, well, they blamed well, it on guy, steroids but yeah yeah, yeah. but it was but he was also i think i just remember that the lead into it was he was really into the iron sheik and he was completely confused that the iron sheik and jesse ventura were big buds off screen because he wasn't you know aware that wrestling was fake but he got into uh doping and steroids and the arc of that film i've kind of forgotten most of it since because it was essentially him going steroids aren't that bad and like his personal journey was like, I went from thinking steroids were bad to maybe thinking they're fine. And that's not a really deep or meaningful thing to have happen. But in this film, because of just the fact that he knew the guy who was doing the doping program, it turns into a real story that has real world consequences and it gets incredibly dark. Uh, and it's something we're dealing with in the news right now. Yeah, it'd be, yeah. we'd be remiss not to mention that this is a very timely pick. Um, yes, sort of the reason but, why I picked it. Yeah, and 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 uh, I feel comfortable to say, like, I don't know. I think that there's in various areas of the political spectrum. I think that Russian uh, propaganda has been effective enough that there's Putin apologia, but. Uh, this guy's been a piece of shit not for a long podcast. time, yeah, yeah. man. No, not on this podcast. I think uh, <laughs> the on one this thing, podcast. the one thing that I find, uh, the, the one silver lining I find on this entire thing is that the entire world has kind of been convinced that Putin is a piece of shit. And we finally had something where they all were able to go, oh, no, he's awful. And, oh, you're going to do embargoes? Let's all do embargoes. And the sanctions that have kicked in have been pretty overwhelming. Like, I didn't think they were going to do this. And we were talking briefly about this beforehand, but I think that, uh, Carlson, I think you may have brought up that media and how we interact with media has changed. Because when Crimea happened, we had camera phones, but nobody really posted videos of it live. Like, you couldn't Mm -hmm. go on Twitter, you couldn't go on Instagram or uh, TikTok uh, to see an instant feed of what was occurring overseas. And in this case, it's all changed. Like, you can yeah. get up-to-date information. Well, yeah. and also, the, the, the annexation of Crimea, to, to bring it back to the documentary, I found it very... The, one, of the, one of the lines that Gregory says, uh, you know, after Sochi, and they, they want a bunch of medals, immediately after Sochi, he annexes Crimea and integrates another special military operation uh, to basically make Crimea part of Russia. He, he says a line that I it kind of cracked me up because he said that, like, maybe if he hadn't won so many gold medals, he wouldn't have done the to Ukraine. Well, uh, this last Olympics in Beijing, Russia didn't do that many well gold medals, and he still fucking did it. So good news, Gregory. That one's not on you. Um, yeah, you know, that uh, one's not on you, buddy. And it's worth noting that uh, not he's been in Ukraine encroaching on Ukraine for, like, seven years yeah, at this since point. since 2014. Yeah. He has... Um, uh, there's, I'm going to do something a little pretentious and, right now, if that's okay. I'd like to read a quote. What? You know. No. Oh, I know. It's hard to imagine that uh, <laughs> I would be pretentious. Um, so there is an ancient quote from the Roman satirist Juvenal. Uh, and I'll just read it. And uh, it is uh, already long ago from when we sold our vote to no man, the people have abdicated our duties 
For the people who once upon a time handed out military command, high civil order, legions, everything now restrains itself and anxiously hopes for just two things, bread and circuses. So the term bread and circuses in this case is basically um, what we see happen in the movie. Uh, he creates a strong sense of uh, excitement and joy around the sense of being Russian. Uh, puts out essentially gladiators to prove how strong Russia is and rides that wave of uh, patriotic fervor right into the battlefield where he mm -hmm. starts killing people. Um, I don't know if they would be as aware of this if they had done better in Beijing, but I did see a news report where China asked them to wait on their invasion until after the Olympics. Very much so. I mean, look, all sports are, I mean, like one of the most popular sports in uh, Russia is my favorite sport, hockey. Uh, the KHL is their league over there. And that's run, I mean, it's basically, they're all part of Putin's inner circle. Just to give you a, a hint of how much, during in the middle of the Beijing Olympics, the KHL announced that this 2022 season is going to be canceled and we are just going to jump right into the playoffs now their reasoning at the time was covid now we know damn well why uh because teams like finland and teams like switzerland are going to be like wait what the fuck um so anyway it, it so putin specifically um and this was true in stalin's year true in hitler it's true in every fucking tin pot despot uh, they yeah, love it's their worth sports. remembering, like, uh, it's very famously, uh, was it the 36 Olympics where Hitler was very invested in the German performance and Jesse mm -hmm. Owens beating him was such a, yeah. a slight yeah, and, on his Aryan. And, and if yeah. I, that was in Berlin, if I'm not mistaken. Uh -huh. So mm -hmm. uh, the IOC certainly uh, paid off Hitler for that, just like we did with Sochi with Putin. Um, and, and to give you an even better sense, because I remember the Sochi Olympics, the Winter Olympics, because that was the last Olympics that the NHL participated in. So I got to see all my favorite hockey players, uh, especially my American hockey players, uh, beat the crap out of Russia with Putin in the building. And it was very satisfying. Um, uh, I felt bad because the goalie was the goalie to my favorite team, the Colorado Avalanche. So I just worried that there was like a sniper ready to just like take him out <laughs> if they fuck up. Um, but yeah, this is this is kind of this is why I I love this movie so much because it it takes such a a, a seemingly banal subject as sports and using that as a microcosm to explore totalitarianism. I mean, it, it's it's what a remarkable I, you guys were talking about it earlier. It's remarkable that this guy just set out to make a Lance Armstrong sort of like experiment and then like accidentally stumble into this Russian malfeasance. Um, and your main guy is a huge fan of Orwell. Um, so like that irony is completely right there for you. Um, so it, it's a demonstrated because totalitarian and authoritarian regimes, fair play is not really part of the vernacular. It's not part of the deal. The system doesn't work that way. Um, you want the illusion of fair play. You want the illusion of, of fair play, but it doesn't really work that way. So to kind of use this as like a microcosm of how totalitarianism infects everything that it's a part of um, is is remarkable. Um, it's, it's right there in the title. Total. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm curious about one thing that always kind of, it jumped out at me in the film. 
um, Rodichenkov, which I think I'm saying his name right, um, he was so happy-go-lucky, and he was so open about what he was doing and willing yeah. to be on camera before shit well, now really you know hit the why. fan for him. Now yeah. you know why. He knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be the fall guy. He was being scapegoated. By the well, Russian state. But he didn't know He was going to be the one that was going to get blown. Well, I mean, but that investigation was already kind of happening. Like, Sarah brought this up, sure. too, when she was, because Sarah watched this with me as well. Um, and she was saying right at the beginning, like, why is this guy talking on camera about this all the time? Isn't he, like, yeah. the head of the anti-doping thing in Moscow? Why is he talking? Now we fucking know. Because he viewed Brian as a way out. You know, I think because even when even when Brian, because I think what's remarkable is Brian actually goes to Moscow and like meets him there and actually gets his camera inside the fucking lab. Then, you know, and then later on, you're seeing CNN barred at the gates yeah, They're met yes. with guards and guns and shit. You even um, have um, a scene where they're driving up to the lab and Rachenkov is like, you know, keep the camera, camera hidden. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So I but think he doesn't tell him to turn it off. He's like, no. Keep yeah. it low because he's. I think he, the whole time he's telegraphing to Brian that like you're my way out, you know, like and I'm, and we can get out and get this story out because I think he wanted to be a fucking whistleblower. I think um, he really. That's why he kind of agreed to do it. Maybe I mean, maybe not. Maybe might. I'm reading too much into it because it does seem kind of accidentally kind of happening at the same time. But there, it, it they do mention in it the could beginning be, of the movie that there are these investigations happening. I think it could be a mix. I think obviously rumblings about Russian doping were there. And maybe he was like, this is a backup plan. Like maybe his plan wasn't necessarily to be like, I'm going to whistleblow. I'm going to flee Russia. But maybe he did see Brian as like, well, just in case. Case. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I think too. Um, and also I think, I think the really, the moment when he decided, fuck it, I'm blowing the whole whistle is when he, he saw on the news report and it's remarkable they got this of like, you see his reaction to his colleague dying. He gets the news report about it. You see that reaction in real time. And the guy turns white. I mean, he is like, he, he's like, he saw a ghost. Um, and, and he, he's just like, he's frenetic. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And that's well, I just, why I, I wonder... love. I, I, just, I, I love documentaries like this because it can capture real moments like this that no matter how much you tinker or edit with, that moment exists and it was caught. And I, I love documentaries yeah. like that. For me, it just seems strange because it did seem like he was self-incriminating a lot. And it yeah, it just seems extremely odd. I just wonder if like he didn't think that it could happen because um, he seems like he's legitimately upset that he's going to have to leave his wife and his dog behind. But I would also Especially ask... The dog. Like, we love that dog. Why would you not think this could occur? Why mm. does it seem beyond the realm of possibility that Putin would do this? Um, Very true, especially when the whole we didn't it, throughout most of the movie, you don't even know his whole backstory of how Putin basically plucked him out of prison to mm -hmm. do this. When you know that if he could pluck you out of prison, he could put you right back in. Um, well, I mean, that's what know. he got. He got stuck in prison originally, uh, yeah. basically yeah. in the mental institution through you know political like you know sure, string yeah. pulling yeah so it just seemed odd that knowing the possible outcome you would still be yeah he got happy go lucky by the russian state it. with arrest and all these things and he attempted to kill himself and after that occurred they put him in a a mental institution of some kind yeah and then they pulled him out of character. there fascinating and I, I, I and i think it's interesting i think the other thing is um you know conceivably this guy could have been 
a very dull, uninteresting dude. I found oh, I him very that. engaging. Oh, I, 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 Zach, I gotta give you a point because you're pretty much stealing. Because I couldn't, I couldn't quite. I think it's one, one of the other happy accidents, not just in uncovering the story and this guy having this kind of metatextual context with Orwell, but the man himself is such a gregarious sort of like character that you know he just loves his dog and he's gonna teach Brian's dog how to speak Russian and you know like he's <laughs> such a. A, a bubbly character like one of my favorite lines that i like i laughed out loud is when they're in moscow he's all like oh, is moscow nice oh yeah it's beautiful i love moscow are you serious no no it was peaceful peaceful <laughs> yeah. is like the most no, yeah, uh, moscow russia is the most peaceful Str- place stress-free on country in the world uh-huh. do you mean that no <laughs> yeah i i think that um that for me was a very telling moment because it also is like i think we've all had jobs or been in mm. circumstances where it's just like you say the exact opposite of what you feel because uh, you've kind of resigned yourself to that it's never going to change. So why not just say something dumb about it? Just like Orwell, you yeah. are saying what you know is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it's it's very cool to me. I mean, like the 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 way he is. And, and, and Brian himself, I guess I, I could take a little moment about him. He, he does seem more or less like curious, but he seems more concerned than anything else than trying to get to a story here. I think he's more or less just trying to protect I, his friend rather than yeah. uncover a story here. I found that pretty interesting that yet he's still like trying to be an advocate I'm, for what Gregory's wanting to do. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give Russell a point for that because I concur with the characterization of Brian in this story. I'm also going to give one to Chris for as pretentious as it was, his little quote and observation <laughs> earlier. I do think it was uh, intelligent and relevant. Yeah. But I probably should have I do asked think, if you yeah, guys I, already had heard bread and circuses before giving the entire quote, but anyway, go ahead. No. Uh, I feel like I've heard it before, but I didn't remember the context. Um, I've heard the phrase and I didn't know maybe the full context, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think that once to Brian's credit, like once shit starts getting real, like the documentary is still on, but it does not seem like his primary purpose. Like it does seem like his main thing is like, I've got to protect this guy. Like when he's waiting for him at the airport, it's tense. Like it's a tense moment where he's like, is this guy going to show up or is. Did he get detained at the airport? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, even when he went and met um, with the uh, and yeah, I, I, the heads of the uh, the IOC, that was a fascinating sequence because it seemed like they were immediately responding with like their egos that their professional ethics were, had been yeah. offended, as opposed to the reality of the circumstance. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that yeah, he was I tried able to, to note speak that. to that calmly was fascinating to me. I I, th- I know you made a comment about it, but it was just I, I think he. I think he made a, and it was like, he spoke to it from a perspective of clearly having an affinity, uh, um, uh, uh, affinity for Gregory. Like the one woman on the IOC was like, you can understand this is very embarrassing for us. It's very like off. We have to what rescind all these results. It's like, do you understand this is professionally very bad for us? And he's like, this man gave up his entire fucking life to, to and, like, and is at risk of it to this day? Yeah, yeah, he's still you know, in witness I mean, protection. And that, God willing, yeah, maybe like I mean, fucking like, Putin takes a fall from <laughs> Ukraine, and this guy can like get back with his family or something. I mean, the thing is, is that that's that's one of the sad. Unlikely, parts of this movie I know. For me, but, 
Like it's it's yeah, a pure and that's victory. what. Yeah, it 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 is because like it, all it is, and and I don't know if everybody knows this about the IOC. They're totally on the up and up and not corrupt at all. Um, but <laughs> they're they're as upstanding as FIFA. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And the NFL. Ha ha. Anyway, um, I, I, because Russia, Russian players are still allowed at the Olympics. I don't know what's going to happen after this whole Ukraine thing, but um, they're allowed, but not under the Russian flag. It's under the Russian Olympic Committee. So they're literally just athletes from Russia playing for the Russian Olympic Committee, which according to the Russian Olympic Committee, they're not have any ties to the actual state. Because that's what I think is the most fascinating part about this is that whole Sochi scheme of swapping out urine, that could have only happened with state support, period. That operation was way too complicated for a couple of overzealous patriots uh, to, to, to make their athletes better. Um, emphatically, and, like, they make it clear, like, whatever they call the KGB now, like, those were the people carrying the cases across the court to, like, the, the other lab and switching out the tamper-proof, yeah. quote-unquote, caps. Yeah, it's correct. Literally a home court advantage. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and, and they would do it in other countries if they could get away with it. Um, and that's why I think that uh, um, one that, that scene with the, with the Olympic people where Brian's giving his pitch is one of the most... I, I love that scene because, that, again, that happens in real time. You watch these people's faces, just their mouths agape of just the shock of the the sheer breath of this. And then their, their main guy, Richard McLaren or whatever, the, 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 he, he's a very famous like sports crime investigator or whatever. Um, when, it, when he gives his little press conference at the end, that not only is Gregorenko wholly vindicated, he was more right than he knew. Um, like it, like the, he didn't like, he told you what, where to look at, but he didn't bring any, he didn't mention anything about the marks on the vials. He didn't mention anything about it. He didn't know anything about that. How could he? But they were all there. And when he says, well, how about a hundred percent of them, 100% of them were tampered with. Right. I mean, amazing. I mean, it's, it, you're, you're almost, I'm almost impressed. I'm almost like, well, fucking well done. You know, like Jesus. But then you're stuck with, they know that now, but they didn't really do anything with the information. Right, yeah. They're just like, right, oh, gee, right, isn't that sad? Right. Oh, I mean, man. Ukraine might well, change things. But what's more, I think uh, uh, one of the reasons why this is such an interesting microcosm of totalitarianism is if they are willing to go to that length just for sports, what do you think they'll do to you? What do you think they're going to do to the whole system to maintain power and control? It, it, I, it's very telling. That's true. Like, I think that in this case, it, they didn't see it as just sports. They saw it as, well, the bread and circus. National thing, identity. Which, National identity. To be clear, um, I, I'm going to make a small prediction, just a generalized prediction. Since we've put a bunch of um, sanctions in place, uh, that is going to destroy the economy in Russia. And uh, with that, a lot of people will become desperate, um, poverty-stricken, and dependent on the state for food. I bet you that they're going to keep trying to do Olympic stuff and that some version of bread in terms of like a stipend of food or something else that you have to depend on the generosity of oligarchs to give out is going to take place in Russia so they can continue being in control of people's lives. Wait, we're, we're uh, talking about Russia, right? That I just can't see that. I, I just, well, I mean, you know, I... Could, I'll say a counter thing. Like in terms of like uh, the idea of 
Putin losing any degree of control. Like to me, the way that it occurs is obviously I think there's a level of unrest right now in Russia that I don't think I've seen before, but I don't think it's really going to be like a, the people kind of thing. Like, so the last 12 czars, right? Six of them were murdered. Five of them were murdered by other nobles who were like, you're fucking with my money. And I think that's far more likely mm-hmm. like to be the thing that befalls Putin than the actual people like, you know, Maybe. changing this system. On yeah. It's kind of, I mean, Putin's already kind of put in the safeguards to keep whatever remaining oligarchs that aren't already dead or in jail uh, under his thumb. I mean, one tweet I read that I think is wholly accurate when you have these oligarchs say, go up to Putin and say, hey, you know, I was worth uh, six billion and I've lost five billion. What the fuck? All Putin's going to say is, would you like to keep the other billion? You know, like that's that's all he has to say. Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things that I, I still just think uh, to Zach's point that that probably will happen, that he will probably be killed by another oligarch. Um, or well, he's somebody he's, else. he's, like, he's even older if a now too. I mean, he's he's like seventy. Well, yeah. uh, to pull a a really dumb comparison here, like one of the issues I always had in Star Wars is after they kill the Emperor, everyone acts like the Empire just goes away and there's nobody else in charge. <laughs> like there's always a hierarchy. <laughs> there's always going to be some asshole ah. behind the main asshole. But you understand, no, Chris? You clearly did not see. Uh, Palpatine returned. Somehow Palpatine (laughs) returned. So, um, God, right. Yeah. I, 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 it pains me so much that that film series had any sequels. (laughs) Yeah. Well, boy, howdy. It's, they're not done yet. Um, yeah. And that's Mm. why I, I think that part, part of the reason I picked this movie was the again the genre shift but it is very timely right now just because because there's another documentary that came out uh, a couple years before this one and that was straight up about uh, the Ukrainian revolution against Yanukovych it's called Winter on Fire it's on Netflix very great um, real boots on the ground sort of perspective of what happened um, and just how brutal uh, Putin's puppets can be to keep their own power um, and not for nothing, Yanukovych fled uh, fled Ukraine, whereas Zelensky now is gonna die there, and he's gonna die with a gun in his hand. Um, yeah, stark contrast. That's why you gotta love these. Uh, you gotta love these Stalin type strongmen, right? They're, they're like paper tigers, you know. Like Stalin wasn't a fucking warrior. They gave him the deal, man. He was a boring bureaucrat. Yeah, you know, like he. he well, you know. he uh, the re- the. Uh relocations of populace was more to create diasporas so that you wouldn't have any one group big enough to actually confront or deal with anything so you couldn't keep you didn't have anybody who liked each other close enough to together so that they could all rise up uh and just as a interesting point they now have uh, syrian fighters that they're getting to go in there after russia well they they do owe them they do owe them don't they they've got a bit of an iou to pay back the other one is the chechnyans because oh, great. Russia was brutal towards mm. the Chechnyans, but once they stick their, you know, uh, their puppet in, suddenly okay. they are the best friends. And again, so, yeah. I think that that plays into this movie a little bit. Is part of the reason why Russia is doing this in Ukraine is that, uh, and why they did it in the Olympics is they've done it before and gotten away with it. Um, you know, because Putin did this in Chechnya, did it in Georgia, did it twice now in Ukraine. Um, and when it comes to yeah, doping Crimea, in the Olympics. Yeah. You know, do we really think that they only did it for Sochi? Do we really think we only did it for London? 
come on. You know, like, if, if it's been this sophisticated, if they have this system that this is sophisticated, this has been going on for a while. And not to just hang Russia, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if they weren't the only countries doing it. Wouldn't shock me at all. And that brings me to the overall point of doping in sports in general. Now, I'm not going to get into a sports hot take uh, radio show here because I've heard it said that, like, you know, does it matter if athletes dope? Does in, in the long run, does it really matter? Like Barry Bonds, right? He's not going to get in the Baseball Hall of Fame even though he's got, you know, 8,000 fucking home runs. But he got busted with steroids, so should he not be in the Hall of Fame? Does that take away all the all the home runs? I think it I don't know the answer to this question. I think it's interesting the fact that in this very documentary, the guys doping didn't really help them all that much. So yeah. there is an upper limit to how, many, how much drugs will help you. And if you want to talk about health effects, well, I mean, depending on the sport, you're putting your body at risk no matter what you do when you're doing sports. Like, you're, you, you could face instant death at any time depending on the sport. Um, Football so, I don't uh, has a bit of a problem with um, yeah. the health of their players, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I mean, oh, I think this so. was I think this was the narrative uh, finish point for uh, bigger, better, almost dead, whatever that was. Uh, yeah, they basically had the same mm-hmm. take where it was like, well, everything's a risk, man. Yeah, no, and and that's why. It, th- so there's a part of me, and I'm not wholly a part of this, that sort of understands that point of view. Um, that when you're an athlete and you are trying to get yourself every possible competitive edge to win, why would you? not explore that assuming that or now we know that the russians are doing the same thing um so but this is where you do not want this to go this is why we have these guardrails against this kind of thing in my opinion i mean like i said other people i you know uh, i i don't like because one of the major russian athletes back then and today is a hockey player named Alexander Ovechkin. Now, Alexander Ovechkin has made no bones about his friendship and loyalty to Putin. Um, He even had a t-shirt that said, fuck Crimea in 2014. Uh, His Instagram avatar is, I still believe, a photo of him arm in arm with Putin. So now, fast forward to today, where Russia is basically illegally trying to conquer ukraine uh he's having to sort of kind of waffle a little bit now look i don't expect alexander ovechkin to like say well next time i see putin i'm gonna fucking i'm gonna give him a business you know he what's he gonna do plus he's still got family in russia what do you think's gonna happen to them if you start speaking out so that is the problem when you're dealing with a you know a sort of authoritarian strongman like putin but that's why I always like the, the term strongman, because Putin's not, I mean, you know, like he, they make him think like he's James Bond and he's closer to George Smiley. You know, he's just a fucking, you know, like it, 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 it's, it's, it's laughable. The myth building that goes in that is required to make these regimes work is fascinating to me. Well, it's, um, it's entertaining when you see the Walmart version of that. Like, I just wanted to casually point out, you have a, uh, uh, I believe, a fuck-off Nazi Trump's shirt. Nazi Trump's fuck-off. That's right. Uh, he tried to pull the same stuff as Putin for a lot of his, like, personal identity and branding. But when you look like an 88-year-old man who has been eating Twinkies all of his life and never doing any actual hard work, 
Uh, you can't really pull that off. You can't pull off uh, being this small. He was moderately successful at the very least. There's a certain non-inconsequential segment of the population who fully went for it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and it's well, and it's yeah. the same thing with it's the same thing with Putin. Because why? Because he appeals to that same sort of well, especially with Russia, right? Because they're still kind of reeling from the fall of the Soviet Union, and their glory days are behind them, or whatever. So they look to a guy like Putin, who is going to elevate them back to their former glory, and they're going to take back Ukraine, even though it hasn't been theirs for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's it, it it's this. Notion of empire, really. That's that's the thing. Like when you uh, when you have an empire, decades, you're rooting for. Well, it, Ukraine just because it was part of the Soviet Union doesn't necessarily make it part of Russia. I mean, Ukraine still had somewhat of a national identity. That like, Marx and uh, socialism and all that. That it's the 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 notion of national identity wasn't really worked into all that. I mean, Russia was the big brother in all of it, but. You know, Romania and all of them, they still felt themselves as Ukrainians or West German or East Germans. So, I mean, it's yeah. a bit different than saying, no, no, Ukraine's always been Russia, actually. We've just allowed them to be Russia because you see back in the Attila Han days, uh, a Rus tribe took over Kiev and that's where he converted to Christianity or whatever. And that was the birth of Moscow for some reason, even though Moscow never even existed back then. Um, it's crazy. It's that amount oh, of myth Roman building Empire. that goes in. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, it's that yeah. amount of myth building that has to go into getting people to just well, buy your stealing, is, basically. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's like, um, well, okay. Uh, so this is, yeah, I feel like, A, this is extremely common in authoritarian uh, and, dare I say, generally far right, uh, like ideologies of this idea of like, you know, we have to build on the legacy of, I mean, the farther back the time that you're appealing to goes, the more fucking crazy you are, uh, generally speaking. No but, kidding. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a big deal in why, you know, sport is so important. Like, we are the great, like, we are the strongest, most capable like there is no one above us is important to maintaining sort of a nationalist authoritarian morale. Yeah, and, and that's why a, 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 a mode like sports of the Olympics is meant to kind of dampen that, right? It's meant to sort of like, we, we could still have national pride and have competition without killing each other. That's the, the, the grand, you know, sort of, high-minded idea of sports right but in the small-minded nationalist petty idea the idea is this isn't a chance to embarrass everybody who is not us correct so maybe maybe that's a that's a good point because maybe we're just pouring more fuel on that fire by allowing this this kind of that's it i'd never consider yeah i mean it's the same way that you see somebody who like when you engage in a debate or something like that or even comedy comedy works this way between people who are more authoritarian and less authoritarian in my opinion for people who are less authoritarian it's a way to make clever observations to play with words and concepts and expectations and i think for people who are more authoritarian it's a way to embarrass people who aren't like them like the primary way comedy Hmm. works for say the far right in america right now in my opinion is like lib tears like that's the goal that's the Mm punchline the joke doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be funny what has to work is that it upsets people. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter about right. the wordplay or the structure or anything like that. Yeah, it's, it's the sense of control. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 and I think that's true too. And, and that's why it, it's just funny that that 
you know, this this movie even exists just because that's not what they sought out to do, but yet that's what they ended up with. And it's sort of why I like documentaries. Documentaries take a long time to make, and there's a reason for that, and this is a great reason why. Because if they had just said, well, you know, he's he's in trouble, I guess we better turn off the camera and, you know, shelve this shit for later. Um, you know, but they kept going and the more you uncovered the kind of crazier it got. And, and one of the reasons why documentaries still work, um, is because of character. So like we've already mentioned, the main character at the beginning is this, you know, bicyclist from Boulder or whatever, consulting like LA anti-aging experts and Mm -hmm. shit like that to get anybody who would help him with this crazy experiment. Um, but then it ends up with this, like I said, kind of like political spy thriller where, where, you're at the edge of your seat and you're just like, like, once that first placard comes up where he goes through the three stages of, of comprehension under Orwell by the speech from O'Brien at the end of the book, um, you really are like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, and, and then you start to think about what Orwell was getting at with 1984 about the whole concept of double think and double speak and the hoops that your brain you have to train your brain to make sense of the world. Is not only you do it on your own in nature, so but can be just to easily clarify, manipulated. By the way, Russell's mentioned this quote a couple times. This is this is the actual quote from the book um, of the three stages. There is learning, there is understanding, and there is acceptance. So those are the three stages specifically that the the film goes through uh, right. in terms of. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's when it makes its kind of shift from kind of like a perspective documentary about Brian doping himself to compete. And then it kind of turns into this retrospective, here's what I did in Russia, and this is why I'm running for, for my life. Um, and yeah, I, I think the results speak for themselves. I was thrilled when it won the Oscar, because like I, I saw it before, it was not because I, I thought, this is fantastic, because I, 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 this is why this, this theme is so weird, Borov, because it's so rare to see a movie do this and have it work, you know, and not just like randomly throw in a random for it plot. To be an accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, for a documentary, which it would almost have to be an accident for a documentary to make it work. Um, so the fact that to, it does this and does it well, because I'm not saying movies don't just throw in random shit at the end to make their movie work, but that's not really what we're talking I, about here. I did see some, I like I was researching possible options for this and I didn't pick this movie. Um, for a plethora of reasons, but I did see some people claim like dear Zachary does this, but I would argue that movie goes from depressing to even fucking more depressing. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah that's right. That one, because that even one in this movie, really... the tone kind of shifts, right? Well, I would say that the difference in that is that it was a reveal, not a, uh, shift in genre, a which shift. is what makes sense. Cause it's, it's yeah. a thing where it, really used it as a narrative device that was extremely upsetting uh i think that's one of the only documentaries i remember yeah, crying I mean, powerful in. it worked but yeah yep um, yep and i'll never watch it again um so, I, I i think that but with this movie because at the beginning well, it starts you're in this like, podcast my friend <laughs> yeah, i know I shit. Um, welcome to the movie trap. i didn't pick it don't worry i didn't pick it but but i <laughs> no, think that no the, dear zachary on the horizon but but even the tone of this movie really changes because the beginning with like the Lance Armstrong stuff, you know, like Gregory's kind of like everyone's kind of like having a good time. They're kind of like Gregory's more like this sort of puckish, you know, kind of it's eccentric so funny. scientist. The first time he shows up and he's just 
utterly shirtless yelling at his dog on the Skype call being like, she's going crazy, this dog. He's just this big, fat, Russian shirtless guy like, oh, she's jumping all around. <laughs> it, it, it is refreshing. Another movie, another way how this movie is kind of timely without uh, by by wholly by accident is like the 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 opening of the movie. Even pre pandemic days, we're still just computer screens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think introducing him with dogs and just how much he loves mm-hmm. dogs was something that it made him immediately likable as uh, oh, a character. He, he practically would have taken. He would have taken Brian's dog halfway, with him if he I was if he halfway could've. surprised that he didn't take his dog on the plane when he came to L.A. <laughs> I thought he was going to show up with a little dog in a case. Yeah. Um, this is... I have one thing that is a complete aside. Uh, did... By any chance, uh, Carlson, did you ever go to the Aurora uh, 24-hour fitness? Or No. Okay. You know, shocking. I did not. It's, you know, it's fine. I, I know that's surprising uh, to hear, but I, I just wanted to bring this up because it was Lance Armstrong themed, and there were bicycles everywhere on the inside, and giant placards of Lance Armstrong. And I remember that one of the quotes. This is gonna be a paraphrase because it's for, uh, been about fifteen years now, but it was one of these things where uh, Lance Armstrong was saying, "People ask what I'm on, and I tell them I'm on my bike working out every day." Uh just aged really poorly once all that came out and i think that uh just casually googled in the background and uh, oh my god i mean you guys remember those yellow bracelets were like fucking everywhere you know like it it, it, it lived strong yeah what were you gonna say what what would you google chris uh i just googled it and i just saw that 24-hour fitness had to like go through and rip down all of their lance armstrong stuff back in like 2005 because i guess it wasn't just in aurora it was nationwide there was one hilarious and uh there's a bunch of people in here there's one that says like peddling uh peddling a name lance armstrong ruined my gym and all this stuff that's just very funny not funny but interesting to read in hindsight because it was just people who i guess looked up to him as a hero and then realized that he juiced his wings yeah uh, that's this is i mean again this is why i uh uh, any any of my favorite athletes i'm not gonna lift a rock and find their political views because i know i'm not gonna like what i see can i briefly say one more thing about the film yeah i actually really like how the title works for both halves of the film Um, I really enjoy, like, obviously with the steroid use, it's like somebody who, uh, is juicing themselves, flying too close to the sun in that regard, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't betray the reveal. And then obviously, I mean, just Russia and this immense doping scandal as like, so, so, so grand, so, uh, you know, Comprehensive. And comprehensive. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like it works for both halves. And I really appreciate that this film has this turn in the middle and the title works for both halves. So. All right. You get a, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think you get a point from me, buddy. I think that's a, that's no, a no, 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 Borf, no, I'm going to no. give him my point because I really, because I argued <laughs> with this I'll with take Sarah. everybody's point. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 it's my last point I can give and I do want to give it because I was, I didn't catch it uh, when I first watched it, but I caught it this time about Roos being the second half of the title of Icarus um, mm. being Russia. Mm. I didn't catch that until the end. And I kept wondering what I thought about that. But now, Zach, you're kind of right that like both the title works for both sides of the theme. Um, 
you know, I just never caught the, the whole rest thing. So I will give you a point. And Borth, you can keep the your two bonus points. All right. Well, I would follow up. Now by Zach asking, and I are out of bonus points. I, I would ask, I am? What, okay, uh, good. Good to what, know. Does, what does Ica represent in the first half of the film, then, Carlson? <laughs> well, you see... The sound uh, you make Lance when you Armstrong. jab yourself in the thigh with a <laughs> right. fucking needle. You go, Ica! Yeah, 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 right. Or it's when you're pedaling really hard. Ica, Ica, Ica. You know, like, yeah, there you go. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It all works. Um Cool. I, I, before we, I, I, I get the sense we kind of wrap it up, but before we, we go, I, I, one of the things that I, I like about um, this movie is, and one of the wish, I wish I could get like a behind the scenes sort of document. I would love to see the timeline of this production, you know, like how that even, uh, shit, well, all right, grab your camera. We gotta go, you know, that, it, one of the reasons why I like documentaries is because of that it is it can be a very run and gun kind of style if you want it to be or it could be a very much retrospective we set everybody in a room and talk about you know world war ii or whatever um it's 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 a it's a versatile mode of film it's because i think a lot of people struggle thinking that documentaries in above themselves are genres um and and i think that that's not really true because it's hard to compare you know like Errol Morris or whatever to Michael Moore, you know, like, cause they're just two completely different or, or like Ken Burns to Werner Herzog, you know, like it just doesn't work that way. Um, one's 12 hours. One just feels like 12 hours. Um, that's, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's one of the reasons why I was happy to pick a documentary uh, for this particular one, not just because I, I've been meaning, like, I really did think about like doing a theme whenever I won back in the day as a theme for documentaries. Uh, but then I'd end up watching Dear Zachary because you guys are assholes. And, you know, <laughs> well, I know, I know it happens. But uh, since we are talking about it, it seems like this might be a good time for those final thoughts. I think that yeah, sounds like a great idea. Okay, uh, Zach, why don't you go first since you're picking the movie next? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, this was a really engaging, interesting, timely documentary. Um, I, I will say I personally also enjoy, I don't know. I think that there is a degree of su genuine success with, uh, Russian propaganda on like various social media platforms or has been in the past. I think recently it's starting to fall apart a little bit. Uh, funding perhaps is not coming through in the same way. Um, but, you know, even in 2016, when like there was a there was people on the left and the right being like, oh, Russia didn't do all that much in our election. It's like, of fucking course they did. Like, why? Mm -hmm. of course they did. You don't have to love the United States to be like, of course fucking Putin would do this. Um, and I don't know. It's 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 nice to see like this timely thing of like this guy is a fucking monster and and besides that the movie is exceptional it's i think even our conversation like there were levels of like how authoritarianism and totalitarianism works that we hadn't i hadn't considered even necessarily while watching the movie the myth building and things of that nature uh echoes like 14 points or whatever i know fascism is kind of a vague connector but there are there are common elements um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think that, I think the turn worked spectacularly. Yeah. I think it absolutely works in the genre shift of like type of documentary from like a personal to, 
even as Chris said, like about the filmmaker to about a subject change. And yeah, it was really strong, really strong. I really liked it. Um, All right, Chris, you go next. I'll I'll go ahead. Uh, I really enjoyed this film. I was surprised. Um, I didn't expect that I would see a documentary uh, that would sort of go right up there with the thin blue line for me in terms of documentaries that have uh, touched on something in the real wow. world. Um, I, uh, I don't know if this filmmaker would be able to recreate this since this film felt like an honest-to-God accident that occurred. But I think it's fascinating that we live in a time period where technology has reached the point where something like this is possible so that they would actually be able to tell this documentary. Like, this is a documentary that wouldn't exist before the internet. Um, Correct. And the access and the uh, versimilitude, though I hate saying that word, of, like, the <laughs> just... Maybe the versimilitude is the wrong word. Um, it was just fascinating to me that we were able to get a fly-in-the-wall aspect of this deeper, darker conspiracy that if somebody just said this i would think they were crazy or potentially uh a crackpot um like for example and, and like surely there's so many russian people this happens to occasionally that's that their, argu- yeah. their yeah. argument that this guy's crazy that's that's rush that's the state sorry i i shouldn't have interrupted you guy is is no crazy. that's that's valid because it's similar to like the point you just made earlier about the uh the fact that um the u.s election was most likely tampered with like at the time i've always kind of been like yeah it seems like it's possible but considering this documentary and considering what just happened with uh ukraine i think it's completely plausible that uh, they would have tampered with it in just this way and if people weren't tuned into the fact that they would be getting lied to in that way they'd probably just accepted hook line and sinker like all the people that think that trump is in stellar health you know things like that so i would i just think well this look is fascinating. at it well yeah I, I just think this is a fascinating you may not like it but that's what peak performance looks like <laughs> um so i'm interested in this and the fact that it references orwell uh is completely appropriate because as the main character in 1984 uh, you don't always get a happy ending just because you've told the truth. It feels right and it is the moral thing to do, but that doesn't mean that it changes the system or the underlying mm-hmm. uh, malfeasance or laziness of common people to stand up to things like this. So I think this is a fascinating documentary and I'm waiting to see what happens in the real world sequel happening right now in Ukraine. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I... I am just impressed with this movie as as I was when I first saw it um not just because of the timeliness of it obviously um but it is very difficult to me because when we talk about genre shifts you're basically talking about two movies fused together and this movie is that it is two different movies that are fused together there are connectors but eventually you realize you have abandoned the previous movie and you are now in this movie. It's very difficult to do that. Well, very, very difficult to do that. Well, and not be obvious and not be obvious to what you're doing to the audience member. This, this movie, by the time it does it to you full on, it's too late, you know, like, Oh, well I, 
I got to see how this fucking plays out. Um, and one of the reasons that I love this movie and, and, and I like Chris struggling with the word verisimilitude, I, I struggle to try to come up with a different adjective for Gregory other than gregarious, just cause it was too close <laughs> to his name. Um, but I could, because he's such a character and that's what good documentaries are really all about. They're really all about character and about your, either your main subject or the, su the subject you're interviewing, the subject you're talking about. It's about character and this movie the, the real genre shift is the changing of characters. And both characters are pretty okay and interesting yeah. kind of enough. Um, and the fact that this, that Brian Fogel had the, the foresight to, let's just stick with it and see where this goes because it's in the news now and everything. But, you know, I might have some sort of inside track. Might go nowhere, might not. But blew the lid on how systematic and... Uh -huh. I'd say even beyond that, the fact that he clearly cared about this man's well-being. Correct. Like, the documentary is one thing, but I think his primary focus in many regards was like, I've got to help this guy who's my friend. Correct. And it, and it should be noted. I mean, the FBI would not have put him in witness protection if it wasn't a credible threat. If they didn't have actual intelligence that Russia is looking to kill this guy um, yeah. that and, and have manners to do it in the United States. Um like that's something. So it's fascinating, fascinating story. And I'm glad I got this, this, this theme gave me the excuse basically to, to do this movie. And I'm, I'm very curious to see uh, what Zach picks for this because uh, um, it's a strong movie to, to beat, I would say. Well, I would say a couple things first. Uh, Chris mentioned something about the idea of truth telling. The movie does open with a quote from Orwell, which is during times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act, which is the biggest indicator of the twist, I think, in the first half of the movie, perhaps. Um, hmm. Like, that there's going to be a little more than just this sort of personal experiment aspect. Um, but before yeah. I give mine, I think you... Well, I think hold on, a, let me go. I gotta go down the points, but go ahead and say your point. Go Say what you gotta say. No, 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 go ahead. Do, do the points okay. first. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me go down a running of the points, because we, boy, we were kind, uh, today, and this whole theme, actually. So, uh, Bora, you now have 13 points, with two bonus points to give out for final voting. You've got a point from Zach from your pretentious Roman quote. Uh, I got a point from Zach with no more bonus points to give out, so I have 11 points for final voting. I got a point from Zach uh, about Brian's uh, empathy, shall we say. Uh, Zach, you have 13 points for final voting, but no more bonus points. Uh, you got a point from Chris about the changing of the subject and how that kind of worked out. You got a point from me about how much we love Gregory and how much of a character that guy is. And you also got a point from me about uh, saying a lot better about the title than I originally did, even though I think the sound effects work. So that's where we're at. So Zach Powers, round three of genre shifts. What have Russell, we got? you said you had two guesses for what I uh, will pick. And I think there's okay. a good chance you'll pick it. Okay. Why don't you tell us why don't you tell us what your two guesses are? Oh man, okay. Alright. I think you're either gonna pick Bone Tomahawk or Barton Fink. It is not either of those. Okay. I'm damn. going right. uh, I have seen both of those and I enjoy them to varying degrees, both of those movies. Um but no, I am going to go very classic, very, like, uh, and I don't know if both of you have seen this. I'll bet Chris has. Russell, maybe? 
I think I'm going to go audition. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've watched it for the film concussion. Oh, you did? I was not part of the show. Yeah, we've watched it. Yeah. It's... Oh, yeah. No, it was the early, early days of film concussion. And I, I haven't seen... seen it since, so it yeah. works for me. Yeah, it works for me, okay. too. I haven't seen it in probably 12 to 15 years. It used to be. I have seen it once before, films. too. Also, yeah. about 12 or 15 years ago. Also, maybe when I was in high school or something like that. Um, it was one of this. The two that came to mind immediately when the topic came up were Audition and Psycho. Um, and I was like, yeah, I've done Hitchcock. Let's do a foreign film. Yeah. yeah Audition no, should be and fascinating. I, I think Audition works a little bit better than Psycho, in my opinion, because I think that, that the genre shift in Psycho happens a little too early for my taste um, for it to be an actual shift. Because, yeah, the whole thing with Marion, but then really it's about Norman and shit, really yeah. within the first 15 minutes. Yeah, like, that's a fan. Oh, I think it's longer. It's a little longer than that, I feel like. But, yeah, it's... it's okay. It's not a particularly long movie, but um, no. And, and so no, I'm excited. And like I said, we we we've covered it before. It'll be great to give a fresh pet of eyes and maybe Borf will dig into the old archives and pull out the old film concussion <laughs> episode. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that yeah, I'll uh, get offensive yeah. in it accidentally. <laughs> oh, I know I did. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, well, uh, that well w that all right. Well, that will conclude the genre shift theme. Um, and yeah, this is a very appropriate choice for the genre shift theme. And, and I, I'm a kind of excited to see it because it's been a minute hey. in my, you know, I've got about a decade's worth of pot residue to, to dig for. And to, viewers to watching along at home, just so you know, for a lot of people, this is kind of an intense one. So, you know, just if you are someone who likes to watch along, just be forewarned. Oh yeah, it is a it, it is definitely it's an Asian horror film. That should yeah. be enough for you to grasp what you're about to to, yeah. to sink your teeth into. <laughs> uh, it's 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 uh came out right before Hostel and the rest of them, and I think inspired most of those films. So and I think uh, it's better yeah. than those movies. By, it is by better than those films. Uh, but in terms of the level of gore and horror, this was Takashi Mieke in his most extreme outside of I think uh, Itchy the Killer. So yeah, it's a ride. Visitor Q is no picnic either, but yeah. yeah. No, yeah, no, that's, yeah. But at least that one has a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the last two movies we've watched, which, you know, both movies end up with the guy being dragged off in a car. Um, no no mobsters tripping <laughs> you this time, Borov. I'm sorry. Alrighty, well, this has been fun, and do tune in to us next time when we watch... Uh, audition for the conclusion of our genre shift theme where we will have voting and a brand spanking new theme um so thank you everyone for joining us it has been a pleasure as always you can find us everywhere we're on youtube we're on all the other podcast places wherever you get your ivermectin information uh do tune in like subscribe comment we're nice folks we like talking back uh and if you're russian bots bring it on bitch um, now we could okay. use the followers, Russian bots. Hit us up. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, we'll change we'll, we'll our tune. We'll change our tune on Putin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. As soon as we're sponsored by uh, Russian Petroleum, then we're, we'll, we'll be like, you know, you know, Ukraine really hey, should be Russia. Tulsi, uh, <laughs> get in here. Get in here, Tulsi. We'll, we'll flip Glenn it Greenwald. Let's go, buddy. Uh, all right. Okay, so with that in mind, thank you very much. I have been Russell Carlson, and I have also been joined by my teammates and co-host, Chris Boreff. Dope early, dope often. <laughs> and I've also been joined by my equal co-host and equal co-partner, Zach Powers. 
The fucking dog is going crazy. <laughs> All righty. Uh, dos Padania, everybody. And as we always say, Diane Ladd is too young to play Chevy Chase's mom. Something, uh, oh no, movie trap promise. Movie trap. Oh, oh, look at that. <laughs> I almost said film concussion. Like oh, that. going down. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys. This is my body, and I can do whatever I want to it. I can push it, study it, tweak it, listen to it. Everybody wants to know what I'm on. What am I on? I'm on my bike, busting my ass six hours a day. What are you on? <laughs>